Hello, hello. Welcome to Tuckered Out with me, Ami Tucker. Happy New Year, guys. It is officially 2023. I hope everyone had a fantastic holiday break. I, for one, cannot really remember the past few weeks of my life. It's all been a big blur between both the kids' birthdays, husband's birthday, holiday stuff, in-laws in town, and then our big surprise trip to Disney uh, for New Year's. So I don't know if any of you guys have been to Disney I figured, you know what, we got to do it once with the kids. It could be fun. It might be kind of a pain in the ass. Lots of walking. They might complain a lot. I don't know. I didn't really remember Disney because I went like, you know, 30 years ago. Holy God, totally blown away. I think it was one of the best trips we have ever taken. And dude, I am not a Disney person, but I think I might be a Disney person. They know what they're doing. I haven't had that much fun in a long time. And ending the year, acting like kids again for a week was just perfect. Just had the best time with the family. So recovering and catching up now and starting the new year with this fantastic guest. Naomi Shah is the founder and CEO of Meet Cute, a modern entertainment company that produces original scripted rom-coms that are feel-good in content and delivered in bite-sized podcast format. Founded in 2019, when Shaw was just 24 years old, Meet Cute has produced more than 450 rom-com stories with over 3.5 million listeners. Wow. So in just over two years, they have built one of the largest and one of the most diverse networks of producers, actors, and writers globally. And I'm slow clapping right now while I'm talking. I hope you guys enjoy my interview with Naomi Shah. Meet Q. So you are building the world's first and largest Calm entertainment brand. Uh, I already love this. So just to clarify, the 450 rom-com stories, these are all currently podcasts? Yes. Okay, very cool. So the term meet cute, is this an urban dictionary term? Like where did meet cute come from? Yeah, great question. I think it has become more and more popular in pop culture in the last few years. Right. But it's always like been a term in the literary world. So like rom-com and romance authors and fans have used this term just to describe like two people serendipitously meeting um, in some kind of like surprising zany way that that the audience or the reader or the listener knows that they're going to end up together in the end. So I actually first heard about it, not through Urban Dictionary, but in the movie The Holiday, where two of the characters are talking about what a meet cute is. And it's funny because I've actually used that snippet of the movie many times, like sent it to friends, family, investors uh, to explain the term when people didn't know it. That's a, you know, I've seen that movie like 10, I've seen every rom-com 10 times. So yes, I remember them talking about it. This Cameron Diaz, right? Kate Winslet, that one? Yes, that one, exactly. Right? 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yes, totally. I, I'm a rom-com freak, so we can go into, qu- we can quiz each other too. I don't know if you can even sum this up, but you know, two years, 450 rom-com stories, 3.5 million listeners. What so far do you think has been the secret sauce? And I'm sure there's more than one thing, but what do you think stands out in the past two years that has made this happen? I think our our creator network is really the unlock for us. Um, we've just developed some incredible relationships with our directors, our actors, our writers. And that has really given us the ability to kind of go wide with perspectives that have allowed us to create this incredibly diverse library. And at the beginning of Meet Cute, we were thinking like, should we build out a little writer's room? Should we kind of, you know, and and I think the writer's room, there are benefits to it in that like, you know, there are people on your team full time and you have, you know, a little bit more like, I think control is the wrong word, but you have a little bit more oversight over like the creative. Um, And instead we decided to like trust the creators that we worked with in a freelance capacity and just really focus on building out the process and kind of like the platform that enabled creators to do their jobs really well. And that has led to just so much organic growth in that network of relationships that I couldn't have done single-handedly. And it really is like our full-time team kind of all works with different creators in different capacities. So when people ask me like, what rom-com should I watch? Or what rom-com should I listen to in the Meet Cute library? I always have something for them because there's usually been a creator, like a writer or a director that has had a similar preference or a similar taste and has made a story or a series for us in that vein. And that has been a really fun part of Meet Cute where you can kind of like individually curate for each type of person, like what show or what series they might like rather than saying, okay, we only have five shows. Um, You have to like one of these. I feel like now, and and that's awesome. And I feel like nowadays, I feel like you have to have those options. There's just so much content out there with these OTT platforms. I mean, like if you only have five or six choices, it's kind of like going back to the 80s and 90s where you only had those 13, 15 channels, right? Like that's just not going to work anymore. That's kind of what makes audio special, right? The creators kind of have more control versus maybe something, you know, in TV and in film, you know? And so I think that's what's kind of exciting about audio, right? I agree. And I mean, this format specifically like lends itself to so much accessible listening when you're in the car, when you're walking, when you're studying, like literally you could be doing so many more activities and enjoying scripted audio. Right. And because there's so many more pieces of the day that you can consume audio, to your point, people are looking for more and more shows to fill that time with. And so we needed to find a way to be able to service that need where once you've binged a few shows, you're not just sitting around waiting, you know, weeks or months for the next one to drop. You now have an archive to start going through. Um, and I think that that behavior is very different from visual content where it does take longer to produce. Like, you know, you do create kind of longer wait times between different shows dropping, but people don't, people don't want that in audio. People want like immediate satisfaction and a guaranteed listening experience when they log on to their podcast platforms. I mean, I'm sure you as a guest, I'm a podcast addict. Obviously I host one, but also listening. I'm like, once I'm done with the show, I kind of get depressed because I'm like, wait, what's next? It's really like, an it's, it's bad. So like, 
whether that's true crime or, or whatever it is, like, especially true crime, it's really bad. I have my headsets on all day. My husband and kids are like, uh, hello. And so I'm like, no, no, guys, <laughs> watching my true, listening to my true crime. You do transparency mode or noise canceling mode? Noise canceling. Noise can- I got my Air Maxes for my birthday two yeah. years ago. Yeah. My husband's like, I wish I never got you those because they're literally on your head all the time. I'm like, it's fine. I'm like, it's part of my job, guys. I'm like, you know, doing research. You were initially part of an investment team in NYC, uh, Union Square Ventures, right? And so mm-hmm. while you were part of this uh, this company, you guys were looking for a media company with a kind of production cadence such as Meet Cute to invest in, but there was nothing out there. So tell me about that. Kind of why at that time was your investment firm looking for this particular cadence? And then... Why did you decide to like bust out and, and be the leader on this? Yeah. And I think it's important to address, like, I don't have a background in media and entertainment. Like I didn't go to film school or, um, you know, MFA, like do an MFA program. Um, so I was on the investment team at USV and I spent a lot of my time there looking at a specific vertical on the team, which was called access to well-being. Um, and what we define well-being as is everything from like healthcare products and services to mental health products and services. And while I was there, we started to push that boundary and say, what else defines well-being for people? And we decided that there was this whole ecosystem and market out there for what people do for fun that healthcare and mental health weren't necessarily encaps- encapsulating in those buckets. And that included things like movies, TV shows, podcasts, books concerts, music, you name it. And like, whatever you do to kind of calm down, like, you know, have fun with your friends was part of that bucket. And so as we looked at some of these businesses, especially in media and entertainment, I started looking into business models for these companies and realized that the risk profile of those businesses didn't really match what venture capital traditionally invested in the tech, the tech profile of kind of scaling in a more one-to-many fashion rather than spending like two years on a movie, a big budget, really big actors, and then not knowing how it was going to perform when it came out. Right. And so there were a couple of things that we were like circling around in, in terms of like just a thesis for what this company would look like so that when we were able to find that company, we'd quickly identify it and be able to invest. And those included a very consistent content uh, release schedule, like you alluded to. So making sure that you built trust with an audience by creating a lot of opportunities for um, consistency. We thought audio was a really great medium because it was so accessible. So it didn't necessarily pigeonhole into like one demographic or another, but instead a lot of people in a lot of different geographies could enjoy this type of entertainment. And finally, we thought that building a company with kind of one vertical in mind, and this is where like romantic comedies came up, um, I love romantic comedies, so it kind of married like personality and you know business model. We thought that like building trust by creating a community around the content was really important as well. And those three things we thought could be aided specifically by digital communities and digital platforms, including social media like TikTok, Instagram, YouTube Shorts, all of those. So that was kind of the market space we were excited about. And then um, a couple of the partners on the team, you know, as we were looking for this company, we didn't find it. 
And they were like, Naomi, like you've been spending a lot of time and energy here. You have a lot of ideas. You've kind of built up this business model. You know, what if you went off and built it? And so I took a few months kind of, I like incubated it within the VC firm, um, but basically found the initial team members and initial creators that we wanted to work with and started building out the pipeline for creating some of these shows. And a big part of that was like, is this even possible? Like, do people want this content? And once we saw that there was initial traction and excitement around the idea, that's when we really, you know, put our foot on the gas pedal, raised a little bit of capital and started building. That's awesome. Um, I guess first, was it assumed that you had the support of Union Square Ventures? And if it was, do you think that kind of helped you take that, that leap of faith? You know, they still had me come in and pitch. Of course. Um, so I was like in a fundraising meeting with the in- entire investment team, which was an incredible, incredible experience. Like I had basically sat for two years on the other side of the table and thought I knew what founders went through when they pitched and then went into that room and was like, wow, I am very sweaty. Like I have to pitch this yeah. entire room of people and convince them that this idea is good. So I still felt a little bit of that. But, you know, I'm very close to the USB team. They they obviously backed the company and, and doubled down in, in our last investment round. And they it gave me a lot of confidence because I think that I'd never founded my own thing before. To that point, I'd only worked at Goldman and USV. And I I think that like being an operator and getting your hands dirty in kind of every part of the company is a very new experience. And so having that um relationship really did give me a lot of confidence and ability to you know, kind of dive headfirst into things that I had no idea how to do. Um, so yeah, I definitely had a very different founding story, but I feel really, really lucky to have had them giving me that support. I mean, I think it's awesome. First, I think it's awesome. And then second, I, you have had the opportunity to sit on both sides of the table, which is pretty rare, I would think. Right? It is. And I do think it's helped me a lot. Like, you know, just not even in fundraising. I don't think that that's the biggest way, but just in having seen founders go through other problems and issues and challenges and board meetings, I just feel like I have a lot more voices and perspectives guiding me Been having been able to sit in on those conversations. So everything from like a marketing question to hiring to OKRs, how to run those processes. I think I did get so much from two years of just working with early stage founders and sitting next to them, even if I wasn't doing the actual building. That's awesome. Take advantage, girl. Why not? That's amazing. (laughs) Um, Okay. So you mentioned that, you know, the company I think is branching out from podcast and and going into more traditional TV and film, short form videos, any projects you can talk about? Yes, definitely. Um, So we have scaled out. So we definitely are still doing every month. We release a new 90 minute audio series. Okay. In tandem, we're working on a lot of short form video projects on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube shorts. Um, A lot of those projects are experimental. So we're taking some really cool creative risks when it comes to, you know, taking different genres of movies and TV shows and turning them into rom-coms or turning rom-coms into other genres of, of movies and TV shows. Okay. We find that like genre bending is a really fun new space to get creative. Right. Um, we've done things like recreated iconic rom-com scenes using puppets. <laughs> we have done these like one minute rom-coms with 
um, improv comedians and writers where they will talk to the camera, given a keyword and come up with a rom-com plot. And then we animate that into this like short animation that's like really fun and, and catchy. So you can start to see we're just like playing around a lot. Yeah. So we're doing short form video. I'm also just really excited about taking IP from one form into another. So I'm like, what does it look like to release some of the audio series as written content to really bring people in who like reading rom-coms and romances, but really haven't gotten a chance to listen to them before? Um, So there's a lot of different ways that we can start to experiment with that. In the last six months, we've not only hired an incredible team that has kind of has a bunch of different skill sets to help us tackle that. Um, But I also brought on um, a president to meet cute, Paul Greenberg, and he has a lot of video experience and kind of brings that expertise to the team as well. So it's been awesome to kind of branch out from just audio and say, if we truly are building the romantic comedy brand, what does that look like in 2022? Right. It doesn't have to be traditional anymore. Did I read somewhere that you also... Brought on uh, Bridgerton. What's her act? What's the actress's name? Teresa Chandra. Do you, you guys bring her on to do a, a few like audio podcast episodes or like a show? Yes. So one of the things that we've been really working on in 2022 um, and hope to continue into the new year is working with talent in some of our shows. So of course we have incredible talent across the board. Um, we've been working with a lot of digital talent on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube and bringing them into audio. And then in September, we cast Charitra Chandran to play the main role in our retelling of Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. We called it A Midsemester Night's Dream. It was our September series, so people can go find it on Apple and Spotify. And then actually, another really exciting talent that we cast for December, so this current month, is Amy Sedaris and Noah Galvin. Amy Sedaris, of course, people know her. Noah Galvin's in Booksmart, and he's just been in so many amazing shows. They together are the leads. Actually, Danny Tamborelli is also in this one. So we just have like a, a, a stacked cast for December um, of our show called Christmas Susanica, which is a holiday mashup of Christmas and Hanukkah. And there's kind of like a family, a big family drama that ensues. Um, and it's really, really funny. So I've been loving the process of just like understanding how to work with more well-established talent and bring them into audio. Um, and I think it really does help people view audio as more of, you know, on a, in a similar vein to TV and film rather than sidelining it as a separate medium that funnels into TV and film. Because I think it should stand alone as its own format yeah. in addition to beating other formats. Yeah. Audio is powerful guys. Come on. And it's exciting to do it. Cause you can, it's kind of like, yeah, you can, you're experimenting and makes it exciting. I just interviewed, uh, Rishi Molotra. He is the CEO of Luminary. Uh, he founded yes. Geo Savan. I was asking him about like the listenership in India and genres. And he, he's like, you know what, for audio nowadays, they call it the SNL genre. We're like, you just put a bunch of stuff in an experiment. And he's like, it's so fun. And it's kind of like their SNL genre, which I kind of loved. I'm like, yeah, it's just you try different things and see what works, you know? I love that about audio. Yeah. And also people that work in audio. I think that like definitely I, I talk to a lot of like risk takers who are like, you know what? We don't know what this is going to be like, but it's not going to take us too long to experiment with it. So let, let's just try it right. and see what happens. 
Whereas, you know, in TV and film, I think that people talk about taking creative risks, but it's on a very different timeline and with very different stakeholders that that are used to doing things a certain way. Right. So in that respect, audio has been a really fun industry to be a part of, especially because even though it's like, you know, five to seven years into podcasts being like mainstream, it still feels nascent it as a, a format. It is. Wild, wild west, we call it still, um, which, I, which I'm thoroughly enjoying. I'm fine with it. I'm like, keep it this way. Name a few things that have been the hardest. What have you been surprised by sitting on this side of the desk? And I actually think about this a lot. Um, it's like the what keeps me up at night right. question. Which I'm sure you've been asked. So... I would say one of the hardest things for me, like I, I consider myself someone who's like very extroverted, very, I like, I get energy from other people. It's been really hard to build a company uh, completely remotely. So we launched Valentine's Day of 2020. And obviously in March, the pandemic hit. And so we figured out how to take all of our operations completely remote. And we now record all of our productions in different cities. And like from a business standpoint, it's been great to solve all these problems with it with an amazing team. But personally, I'm always like, I miss the in-person, I miss the interaction, I miss the camaraderie of being in an industry that's this nascent. And so trying to find ways to like connect our team to each other, even remotely, find ways to connect with other founders and other creators. I fly to like New York and LA a lot to try and do more in-person stuff. So that has been definitely a challenge, um, both on the operational side, but also personally. And then another one, and I'm sure you've gotten this response before, but and, and you know, all podcasters kind of nod when I say this, but just like finding creative ways to sidestep just the discoverability problem of audio. Like, I just want all of our meet cutes to be on like a Netflix like carousel that people can flip through and like find new stories and characters that they want to binge listen to. A lot of times, like a friend will come to me with like, "What should I listen to?" and I'll say oh, this series, but you'll have to scroll way back on our feed to get it. So let me just like make you a little, you know, a little curated playlist and like link, like add links to it. And things like that just don't make the user experience as friendly. So, you know, we built a website and on the website, you can browse all of our titles and stuff like that. But I'm always thinking of like, what is the next creative way to try and bring more audience to audio and to scripted audio specifically? for us. Um, and that has been both like very, very creative as well as very, very challenging. So yeah, just like thinking about that, I think has been something that, um, has been hard. And I think we've found really great ways to do it. We have really good relationships with the platforms, but yeah, it, it, I think it's like definitely a struggle that I, I hear from a lot of different founders and creators in the audio space. Please call me when you guys figure this out because I, you know, you know, I'm a small team. It's only three of us, but I am, I'm starting to get creative. I'm like, it is time, you know, I did my hundredth episode. Things are growing and I'm like, it is, thank you. And it's, it's time to, um, start thinking about some weird, doing some weird random shit. It's just, you have to mix it up. So the landscape for South Asian representation in TV, film, audio, everything, media is changing. I grew up at a different time. I'm not 80, I swear, but I am older. So for me, it's, it's still really odd. And, and it's all good. It's amazing. It's great. But when I see a brown lead, I'm like, oh, wow, this is, this is so cool. You know, like still a little bit new for me and, and people my age. Is it normalized for you, for your, for your generation? 
I think so. Like I, okay. I'm no longer as surprised when I see a South Asian woman, just like two different categories of, you know, underrepresented, traditionally underrepresented minorities in founding a, a business or a right. you know, creator company. And I think that there are a lot of reasons for that. Like the first one is just like in tech, I think, you know, there's been a lot more awareness of empowering women leaders and like, you know, boardrooms needing to be more representative, not just of the gender split, but of different right. races, of different abilities. Um, but also on the media and entertainment side, I actually think that that fuels a lot of the rest of the economy. And like, you know, just one example is like Mindy Kaling's Kaling International has done a really good job bringing representation to screens, but also like being really loud and, and talking about it. I, I think that there are so many examples now of South Asian creative executives like working together to try and bring more scripts in by South Asian writers, try to bring more South Asian actors in. And there is like, I, like we feel it where, you know, when we have a certain cast that we're going out with, we're like, we want to go cast that authentically so that we give those people a chance to represent their own people on in, in a production. And I think that that awareness didn't necessarily exist 10 years ago. Like I, you watch the rom-coms of like the rom-com heyday and it's like all like white heterosexual relationships. And, you know, like I watched Bend It Like Beckham like 40 times. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, like I'm a tomboy. Like I'm South Asian. Like I love that, that character. And I related so much. Totally. Um, and she got her like, and she got the guy. Romance. I know, she got the guy. I know, too. yeah, I know. I know. I was so her. I'm like, wait, that's me. It's totally me. Exactly. I know. Exactly. So I think like growing up, I felt like I was like I I could feel that like okay, I was a little bit different. Like I grew up in Portland, Oregon, mostly in like predominantly Caucasian classrooms, and I definitely felt like oh yeah, like I I don't look like everyone else. And like, I have different traditions and my, my family, you know, has different, has, has a different background. You and eat, eat like, shock, Rotley. I mean, come on. Exactly. Exactly. And like go to India every year and visit my family there. Totally. And, yeah. They got Nani's house and Bobby's house. You got to do it. Exactly. And I loved it. And I, and I was always really proud of it. And so growing, growing up in that environment kind of made me feel like I have something to contribute that other people don't see every day. And I loved that feeling. And today I feel like there are a lot of versions of me in their own communities that are building yeah. and creating. And it does feel really nice to like, to see that. And I, and I want to build more of a community there. Cause I think that that could be a really, really powerful community of people like helping each other, supporting each other. So yeah, I don't I don't see it as as rare anymore or like it doesn't surprise me as much, but I mean there, there can always be more. Like I think we have a long way to go before it becomes 50-50 right. in terms of like male female bringing more Indian representation and South Asian representation to leadership. But I think we're on the right path. It's at least a starting now. Yeah, you guys should totally do like a Diwali rom-com. Oh, I know there I, I know there was one with uh, Melanie Chandra. They did that the comedy. I don't know where it was on playing on Melanie Chandra. And did you see that one? Uh, yes, yeah, yes. with Serena J uh, Jindal and Melanie. Jindal, yeah, um, actually, Melanie's in our January um, series. Oh, fun! So, and it's Lonely Wife, and it's like about a very common South Asian trope, and it's a full. South Asian cast. So you should listen to that. I definitely one. will. I interviewed them last year before the, for the movie. Okay. Um, I'm actually friends with Cal Penn as well. And so 
I worked on a film set with his first when he was first oh coming God. out 20 years ago. I was I was his production assistant. Um, and so we were talking about God back in 2002 till now, like, holy shit, this has changed. You know, it's just crazy in all amazing ways. So what does 2023 look like for Meet Cute? Yeah, I think um, I'm very excited for 2023. I think the expanding to new formats is like a big one for us. Um, thinking about like books and audiobooks, thinking about what are fun ways that we could leverage some of this like generative AI stuff to like make cool social content and make really cool um, video content with it. Also, like in terms of partnerships, just excited to like branch out and try more collaborations and bring some of our shows to other people's platforms and vice versa. Um, and I do think that Meet Cute has kind of found its it's lane, so to speak, where a lot of people are like, oh, you're the rom-com company. And so that has been really, really nice where I no longer have to like set up as much of an introduction for the company. I can kind of just start talking in terms of like, here's what I think we could do together. Yeah. And so that's been awesome. And then finally, like we touched on this, but working with more talent, I think is a really fun one. And we're excited to work with both like well-established talent, but also find some really cool up-and-comers that we want to work with and bring them into our our scripted audio world with us. So I would say like, those are probably like four or five of the things that I'm most excited about, at least in the first half of next year. We'll, we'll have to see about the second half and like what new things come up in the next few months. Okay. Um, but that's again, working at a startup, everything just moves so fast. Totally. Well, look, if you are, um, have any openings for a tomboy female leads, I will try out for you for sure. That's amazing. Like uh, um, okay. <laughs> so you mentioned Portland, Oregon. Grew yes. up predominantly in the white area. So did I. I grew up in, in Houston, but in near the NASA area. Typical Indian Guju household, like parents were like become a doctor, lawyer, engineer kind of thing, or were they a little bit more open? Surprisingly, very open. Okay. Um, yeah, my parents were very much like, we're going to try and put you guys in as much stuff as possible and then see what you guys are drawn to. And then that's what, that's what will, will help you do. So like, my brother was really into sports growing up. So both of us were kind of in sports camps and like different sports our entire childhood. And I love that about my parents because I did have friends who were like, this is what you're going to do. You're going to get to level 10 in piano and you're going to do this. And it always felt like very much of a chore. Um, whereas I always felt like I was excited about the stuff that I was working on. So just at an early age, I, I really loved that. Um, kind of naturally, I really loved science and my brother really loved math. So we kind of like followed the, this is, this is what we thought was cool and what was like fun for us without really our parents pushing us into those. And now I run a rom-com company. So I do literally nothing with like <laughs> engineering anymore. But yeah, I always loved my, my dad specifically, like was really good at helping us solve problems by like thinking about it kind of from an engineering perspective. So he studied mechanical engineering. I studied mechanical engineering. And I think a big part of that was not him being like, you need to like go into engineering, but instead like my brother would have an earache. And instead of like going to the doctor immediately, he'd be like, okay, what do you guys think is a way that we could solve this at home? And we would like come up with like, we have a video of my brother and I like coming up with this like contraption that like, it's going to sound crazy, but like basically like created a really pressurized nozzle to basically like wash out my brother's ear, which is exactly what a doctor would do at the emergency room. Right. And my dad in this video was like, Naomi, like, do you know what physics principles at work here? And I like gave him the equation. And so it was just kind of more like he made it fun. Yeah. And I think that really 
made both of us love physics. Like if you like asked either of us, like what was your favorite subject in school? It was that because we had a very like experimental childhood where we were just kind of like playing, but learning. Learning. Um, yeah. And so I feel really lucky. Like my parents also were never like, you need to get A's. And then like, if we came home with like a different grade, they'd be like, why? Like, tell us why, like, you know, what, what can we help you with? What can we work on? And so it was always just like, was this your best work? And usually the answer was, if you didn't try very hard, no. And they were like, okay, like do your best work next time, you know? So it was very much like nurturing, which I feel really lucky about. And I don't know, I'm not a parent, but hopefully one day when I'm a parent, I can like do some of that. I stuff. will tell you, think- it's not easy. So you're, you're, yeah. I already love your parents. I'm like, can they come teach me? Um, it's really, <laughs> it's, really it, it's hard to, to, try to discipline your kid in a positive nurturing way. Cause sometimes you just want to be like, you know, yeah. um, you know, my, sure my, they have those moments too. Like I'm like, I'm 27 and probably like looking back with like rose colored glasses, but like, I loved my childhood cause I felt like I was like all, always playing, which was very fun. It is pretty impressive of your parents to be able to do that. You know, I'm assuming they immigrated from India. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Especially for immigrant parents, it's just hard. It's hard, but it's because I feel like there's a, a common thread or theme with our parents and they, they come with a little bit of fear, right? Like, yeah. and so it's hard not to pass that down to your kids. Like yeah. fear, meaning get the right job. And these are the certain, these are the, this, these are the jobs that are secure. And it's a common story with most of our parents. So did you see, um, Hassan Minaj's The King's Jester. Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, so like, I just thought that was like the perfect thing where he was like, this is why I'm doing it so that my kid, my daughter doesn't have to ever like answer to anyone, like can kind of pick her own path and whatever she does, be happy with it. I feel like, yeah, I feel lucky that like that was kind of the choice that I was given. Yeah. Um, and, And like, you know, when I was telling my mom, I'm like, I'm leaving Venture to start a rom-com company. And she's like, what? Okay, like, let me know if I can post about it. <laughs> I did see the Hasan Minhaj thing and I, it's totally right. And I think the reason why we're able to do that for our kids, future kids, whatever, is because our mm-hmm. parents gave us what they gave us. My girls love to see me podcasting. They love it. They want to start their own podcast. Um, and my whole thing, my whole story is... It, it's true. And it's, it's pretty amazing to, to be able to pass that down to our kids, future kids, blah, blah, blah. And really quickly about your, your childhood. Is there a story that you can recall, middle school, high school, that kind of defined who you are as a South Asian? Hmm. Good or bad, by the way. Yeah, I think this one, like, it's not like the biggest story ever, but it's like a small moment that I think like, it's kind of how I approached like the dual culture and growing up in a dual culture, which is like, we were going to either like a Navratri um, dance or like a Diwali party or something. And like my whole family was like in Indian clothes. And I don't know, we needed to like, probably like grab like milk or something at the grocery store on, on our way home. And I had been around a lot of people who like tried to put being Indian in a box, like kind of like, this is who I am in this community. And this is not who I am in this other community. And like both my parents were very 
proud of being Indian, but also like proud of like, like bringing people into being Indian. They were like, invite your friends over and like, let's feed them Indian food. Or like, they were always like, bring your friends to Diwali, like bring your friends to this. And so it was almost like a way to, yeah, to like make, make being Indian cool. Like, you know, like it's, it's not like, like being a, being a dual culture person is a cool thing. And so the small story is like, do I go into the store dressed in Indian clothes? And my dad was like, why wouldn't you, you know, like, come on, let's go. And, and just like being in QFC, which is like our grocery store near our house, um, fully in like, like, you know, Alanga and my dad was in Indian clothes. My mom was too. And like, just everyone loved it. Like, it was just so fun. And it was like, my dad would like explain like what we were doing, why we were doing it. And I think that like, that is how I always have approached it. Where like, you know, I speak at like a first grade language level in Gujarati. Like I'm very bad. I can understand <laughs> everything, but I can't speak. Okay. My family makes fun of me in India for like how I speak, all that stuff. But like, even so... I like want, like I throw a Diwali party for my friends every year. Like I want people to interact with my culture and like, I want that. I want to take my kids to India one day. And so it's a really small story, but it's like very meaningful to me. Cause I think that to me is like how my family and how I now think about being Indian, but growing up here. Well, it's impactful, right? Small stories are, can be the most impactful. Um, and I feel like your parents are ahead of their time. And I love them. So let Uncle Nanti know. I, I, <laughs> I, day, tell, I mean, tell them I said Jeshi yeah. Krishna. Tell them I said hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always about un- uncles and aunties loving me. It's like my own little psychological problem. But yeah, I have to be. <laughs> Affirmations. Uh, yes, I know. Probably have to go back in time and, and figure that out. Um, okay. Fast, fun round. So words, okay. sentences, whatever comes to your mind. When you hear the word storytelling, what does that mean to you? Movie night. And some of these questions, actually, I read one of your articles. These are questions you told people to ask themselves. So now I'm asking you. I love it. What personality traits are you most proud of? Humor and empathy. We're twins. We're twins. Okay. What is the impact that you want to have on your local community? Someone that changed people's lives for the better. At the end of all this career you know, which is a very long time from now. What do you want to be known for? Small acts of kindness. Who would your ultimate collab be for 2023? Mindy Kaling working on a rom-com with us. Mindy, I hope you're hearing this and work with (laughs) both of us. Thank you. This might be a little hard one, but again, whatever comes to your mind, ultimate vision for Meet Cute. Have a bunch of people... Whoever loves rom-coms, repping me cute on merchandise because they can't get enough of our community. Which rom-com has been on repeat for you? Bend it like Beckham. Nice. Which rom-com would you be the star of? Bend it like Beckham. <laughs> I was a huge soccer tomboy growing up. So like, I could be in like a sports rom-com. Perfect. 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 Okay. Do you watch Bollywood? Only the like big, big movies, like the American movies I've seen. I'm not up to date though. Okay. American's like my favorite. Okay. So for yeah. what do you know from Bollywood? What's your favorite Bollywood rom-com? Which is like Ooh. kind of all of them because they're all rom-com. I feel like no. They're all rom I know. There's so, um, there's so many that are rom-com-y. Yeah. I love Jodha Akbar. Oh yeah. It's not a rom-com. It, it's, it's more rom, yeah, rom-drama still. Yeah. I guess in the rom-com space, um... 
like Cubby Cushy Cubby Gum, like one of the classics probably. Cause I could just like anytime put that on. Yeah, totally. I love it. Yeah, yeah, they're just so fun. perfect way to start the year talking about rom-com and love and something we all could use a little more of you guys please check out meet cute you can go to meetcute.com check out all their projects and and i have a feeling she's going to be doing some pretty exciting things this year so stay tuned as always follow me at tucker.podcast tucker.withummy.com all right guys we're just getting started thanks for listening this is tuckered out